Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mmm, I like that. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. I'm Steve Norman, joined by Owen Hughes. Hello. And Tony Black. Hello all. As we take a look at the last week or so in film. You're sending a bit under the weather there, Steve. Yes, mm. a little bit. Yeah, stole drink on though. Yeah, I've already missed a week, so probably went swimmingly without me and now you've got me back ill and <laughs> sounding well, really odd. Matt did do a good job, I thought. Mm. But, um, you know, you're irreplaceable really, Steve. Well, that's a shame. Yeah. um yes so um and we'll be doing a triple bill based around halloween as halloween is next week monday the 31st yeah yes and this will be uh, our next podcast will come out after halloween so we have to do it a week in advance really yeah um but we will be doing that where we're looking at uh resurrecting some dead actors or actresses bit of necromancy for our podcast why not? Yeah, just being a bit weird. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway, we're, we're going to start with the quiz. I saw an email from Paul confusing me about the quiz. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, because we've got um, a quiz cast that we're trying to put together. We put Paul in charge of it um, because he's why not? shit at quizzes, but is fantastic at hosting them. <laughs> so we're, we've roped him into doing that. We're trying to sort that out. It's been like, we've got a bumper crop of like special episodes through December. And uh, a quiz cast will be one of them. We've got the Star Wars podcast, of course, where I'll be kicked off. Um, <laughs> we've got the our Christmas episode, of course. We have a Christmas special. And the end of year awards will be out in the, in, in the end of December as well. So it's just crammed full of extra special episodes throughout that month. So um, that's plenty for people to look forward to. I want to know if Paul's going to top bitch or witch. That will take Uh, some doing. (laughs) Good luck, Paul. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, yes, and you've still not watched the Starving Game, so um, I'll I'll tell you what, I'll let you off. (sighs) Thank you. I will watch something else if it's available. (laughs) If it doesn't involve, you know, sailing the high seas across to Pirate Bay, of which I do not have access because my internet blocks it. Then I will, I will, I will watch it, you know, a Netflix thing, something on YouTube even. I don't mean mind being a bit crafty that way, but yeah, Starving Games has thankfully eluded me completely. Well, yeah, so we'll let we'll let you off, we'll let you escape it, and um, we'll find something else for you to watch once I win the next quiz. Yes. <laughs> uh, in the meantime, I just better keep winning. Uh, or, my, or people competing on my behalf better keep winning. Let's put it that way. No pressure. No pressure, everyone. No pressure at all. Yeah. 
So what I have done for this is a this is the this is a long-winded explanation for this. We're really sort of running out of ideas for quizzes these days because <laughs> we've done so many of them. <laughs> Trying to think of something that's original is nigh on impossible. Um, so I was, you know, I was sitting there scratching my head and I thought, what can I theme it around this week? We've got the Comedian's Guide to Survival coming up later, the new James Mullinger film. Maybe our Critics' Guide to Survival. What do critics write about? Critics write reviews. Okay. Who have we got on? Tony writes a lot of reviews. Okay. There we go. So this week, <laughs> the, the quiz is I've taken lines from reviews written by both of you. <laughs> okay. Oh my God. And you have to tell me what the missing word is. Kind of like Jeez. blankety blank. <laughs> And just to make it just that extra bit more difficult, Tony, you're going to be guessing the missing word from Steve's reviews. <laughs> Steve, you're guessing them from Tony's. <laughs> oh, dear. I, I, I don't know how this is going to end up. I really so, don't. <laughs> <laughs> we will see. So, Tony, you can go right. first. Okay. Steve normally goes first. We'll switch it around for a change since it's... Uh, it's a bit of bad luck, I think, going first in these quizzes. <laughs> no offence. Um, so, this is Steve describing the worst line of dialogue in the Independence Day Resurgence movie. Okay. He said, That goes to the new president who, when aliens find her hidden base in the mountain, declares stoically, there will be no peace. Which was obvious when the aliens destroyed half of Earth Without even a what? Ooh, um. Oh. You, you know this is going to be witty. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say care, but I think that's just too, like, uh, yeah, I think, I think wittier. Yeah. I think. I'll, give you t- I'll give you two guesses each for these. All right. I'll say care or blink. I don't know. <laughs> oh, you were along the right lines, but it was without even a hello. Oh, okay. Aiden's destroyed half of Earth without even a hello. And Earth is spelt E-A-R-F. Just for good. Which is wittier. Which is wittier, you know. Yeah. Well done, Steve. So, so Steve, you've probably got the the gist of this game now. Yeah. This is Tony Black's review of Jack Reacher, Never Go Back, which went on to Flickering Myth this week. I I mean, you do realise it's going to be the first nil-nil scoring (laughs) (laughs) round. Okay, so Steve, if never go back is one thing, it ain't what? Sorry, never go back is one thing. It ain't. It ain't half hot, mum. I wish you'd have put that. Yeah, you can go back and edit it, but it wasn't that. Mm. It ain't great. What what would it not be? Mm, I will ignore it ain't half (laughs) hot, mum. And you can have another guess. So it's not great then. It's not great. Uh, it ain't. And it's just one word. Just one word. There's not much context for that one, is it? <laughs> no, um, I guess not. At least, like, he got, like, a whole paragraph. <laughs> Stupid? No, it was. It ain't subtle. Which I think, if anyone ever saw the original Jack Reacher film, yeah. would concur. Um, you got the right letter, though, Did you know though, that Steve? line off the top of your head, then, Tony? I did I have gone to you to ask what it was? I, I did know that one, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. No bonus points, though. But... 
we'll bear that in mind. So, your next question, Tony, mm. is from Steve's review of The Jungle Book, okay. also from this year. He said, we've all seen the flack that the Star Wars prequels and Hobbit movies got for excessive use of what? Here, it works, though. And I want to make this could be quite easy. So I want the specific thing he said. All right, my first guess will be CGI. Mm, it wasn't CGI. Um. Oh, okay. Excessive use of. Um. Ah. <laughs> animation. No, oh, it was. It was close. You you were along the li- right line, Steve. Have you any idea what you said in that review? No. <laughs> <laughs> It's excessive use of the green screen. Oh, yeah. So it was close. Gutting, gutting. Yeah. Okay. So Steve, back to you. This is Tony's review of the Purge election year. Uh, also for Flickering Myth, he said a fine finale, nonetheless, to a franchise on the whole, very much. What? Um. I don't know this one either. <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, I think worthwhile. It. Again, you're along the right lines for that one. I think I've guessed this now. I think I know it. Accomplished. <sighs> Nearly. I mean, it was underrated. Yes, I knew that. I'd guessed it. Yeah. I guessed it just then. Yeah. So you're right, Tony. I think this may turn out to be our worst, <laughs> lowest scoring quiz. I, th- I think you might have to invoke the, um, you know, if the other person knows it, they get the point thing. Oh, uh, for the la- for the final question. Yeah, we'll do that. just so somebody can win. Yeah. <laughs> So, this is Steve's review of Star Wars The Force Awakens. Okay. He said, But if there are two things I'm obsessed with, then it's what and Star Wars. This could be one of many things. Well, (laughs) I don't know if it says more about me or Steve. My first thought was tits. It Uh, wasn't tits. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think that's more about you. It is more about it. Football. It's correct. Yes. Yeah. Two things he's obsessed with. I, I knew he was obsessed with football. I was taking a, ba- a gamble on tits. I'm going to assume, <laughs> but I don't know, Steve. Steve is above that kind of behaviour. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> so, Steve, to get this to the uh, tie break, this is Tony's review of Brent Life on the Road. Uh, again, for Flickering Myth. Yeah, uh, it was. I'm very predictable. <laughs> Gervais, for all his slightly tasteless edge, has always layered his comedy with a what? Pathos. Ah, you're so close again. That was going to be my first guess, actually, as well. Um... What 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 do you think of when you think of Ricky Gervais comedies? Mind, but I want to, I want to say something like emotion. Yeah. Okay, Tony. What did Gervais layer his comedy with? Oh. A, 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 a goat I don't know <laughs> it was a sentimentality oh he was close he was close with pathos there close yeah, yeah. very close point, really it was yeah and I'm not sure that's grammatically great anyway so I I, <laughs> I I think that made it harder I think pathos was a better word yeah there you go Tony you've been told I have I've learnt a few things get a, get a thesaurus yeah <laughs> <laughs> but there we go that puts me 2-0 up now, so thank you very much, Mr. Black. My pleasure. On to the news, Owen, and Cambridge Film Festival is happening, and we are lucky enough to be covering it. Yeah, we've been sent some um, screeners for review again. We covered a couple from last year. I think we did uh, the, uh, ooh, what was it, Starmen, 
we did, which is a sort of sciencey documentary. Welcome to Leith, which was about that uh, Nazi guy who moved into a small little American town and tried to turn it into a haven for white supremacists, um, which was great. I think I saw even on Netflix now, which is worth a worth a watch. I uh, I adored that film. Um, but yeah, we, we're covering quite a few different things. Uh, We've got a podcast special that we're recording uh, on Tuesday this week, which will hopefully be released shortly after that, where we've got Andy and Liam together again. Uh, They covered a world cinema podcast with us a while back. We did a triple bill on world cinema, which was, I can't remember when that was, March, something like that. And uh, back by popular demand, I would say. People loved it when we had Liam and Andy on. So they're going to be on there talking about all these weird independent european and asian um films that we've been been sent so we've got well I, i've seen a scottish film bodkin ras which was great which i loved uh we've got cloudy sunday a legitimate ukrainian sheriff's wonderland on the other side the next generation tiger shorts which i've actually been assured was the worst of the lot but with you know a few really good ones olympic pride american justice uh, Revolution, which is a documentary I'm absolutely almost certain will be on BBC Four within a couple of months. It's got Storyville written all over it. And uh, yeah, and then we've also got Ben Challoner, who's going to join us, who's from Sun Double Deep, uh, hopefully um, joining us on Tuesday to record. And he'll be covering some of the more uh, big name films because he's actually at the festival. So that's like Clint Eastwood's new film, Sully, uh, I, Daniel Blake, Peterson. Handmaiden, uh, one or two others as well. So um, really looking forward to recording that. And uh, the festival goes on until the 27th of October. So Friday this week. And well worth uh, having a flick through what, what's on there and, and what we'll be talking about. Excellent. Um, we've also had some trailers and more comic book movie news come out this week. Um, trailers for Guardians of the Galaxy 2 and Logan. Yes. Have you? Which ones have you seen, Steve? All of them. All of them. Do you want All to kick of us off then with Logan? What did you make of Logan? It looks very different to all of the other X-Men films, whether it's been the ones going in this alternate timeline or the other one. It looks, it looks very different. It looks very gritty. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it doesn't quite seem... Like, if you didn't know that... It was Wolverine and uh, Professor X. You wouldn't, you might not know it's a superhero film. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it. I thought it looked very Mad Max, really. Um, obviously not Mad Max Fury Road. I mean, the they're not quite as um, eccentric, uh, high performance stunts, uh, Mad Max. Um, but it, I mean, yeah, I I thought it actually. Because you never know what what to expect when you see these trailers and you watch them and, and you don't know whether it's going to be in keeping with the actual film or not. I mean, I thought the Wolverine was decent. I didn't mind. I thought that was actually, you know, quite watchable. Um, Deadpool's fantastic as well, sort of set in the same universe around the same characters. The, the recent X-Men films have been pff, forgettable but enjoyable at the time kind of movies. And uh, Logan just looks like there's a bit more to it. And I think possibly it's because it's based on a comic, or it looks to be based on a comic called Old Man Logan, which is where 
Um, but basically, without going into a huge amount of detail, Hulk in the future has got these weird offspring kids who then kill Logan's family. And it's like in an absolute desolate wasteland of a, a dystopian future. And it's actually a really good comic. I loved Old Man Logan. And Tony, I know you're a big fan of comic books these days and you haven't actually read it yet. I, I really encourage you to read it before checking out the movie. That's assuming you will be checking out the movie. You might have seen the trailer and had completely the opposite uh, opinion to me. But No, no, not at all. I, I really, really liked it, yeah. I uh, I will read the comic. Yeah, I've heard a lot of good, lot of good things about it. And I know they're, they're doing it slightly differently from the comic, so they're not doing a straight adaptation. Mm-hmm. No, they um, can't really. Yeah, um, although James Mangold today... <coughs> excuse me confirmed that um that it's set in the timeline after days of future past so mm-hmm. i think really they could have done what they wanted really with this they, they can kind of go anywhere they want because it doesn't really contradict the the, the yeah. rebooted x-men timeline i mean at, at, at the end of the day it's all a mess anyway <laughs> the timeline it's, of the x-men films is mental <laughs> it's um, weird how it's it's sort of now reflecting what actually happened with marvel and dc you know, in the actual comics when they started. Yeah. And they were like, shit, we've got all these different storylines from different time periods that there's no continuity between them whatsoever. And so they, I mean, it's a bit different in terms of, in the comics, Marvel and DC obviously owned all of their series, whereas particularly Marvel have got, you know, Universal, Sony, uh, all these different companies. And Marvel themselves still still own a few characters, of course. So they were just sprawled all over the place. In yeah. the comics, they just go, oh, we'll just have a big mashup event and we'll kill off some universes. Well, the, the- and we'll bring the characters <laughs> we like into the main universe. This- and then it just descends again into this spiralling mess. And then they go, oh, shit, we'll have to do all that again. Oops. This is the thing. I think if they'd have known what they were going to be able to create, I don't think Marvel would have sold these film rights at all. You know, they would have kept them all in-house knowing that they were going to make this. Because it's made it a lot harder for them to be able to do, do a lot of this stuff and tie everything together. Um, but if they hadn't have sold all those, it's a catch twenty two, mm. isn't it? Because they, if they didn't sell off X Men and Spider Man and Fantastic Four, they would they wouldn't have existed anymore. Yeah, that's, theoretically, that's they, you know not even as a film studio, but as a, a comics industry. as a comic. Yeah, so it was a yeah. I know I know what you mean, but no, Logan. Um, Logan looks great. I really really like. I did like the Wolverine a lot. I liked. Mm. I've, to be honest, I I haven't disliked an X Men film since. Um, the last stand you know they they they're varying degrees of, of great you know apocalypse was okay you know it did the job um have you just completely blanked wolverine origins from your mind oh god yeah i, 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 just, <laughs> I just as most people do just yeah. compartmentalize it and just pull it to the back of your mind it, and forget all yeah, it's just things. something we should never discuss exactly. <laughs> um exactly yeah so you know since since then they've they've been pretty good you know good to really good and i and i i like the fact that they're giving hugh jackman a real conclusion you know obviously you know they'll bring wolverine back somebody will bring wolverine back at some point in a rebooted fashion somewhere but hugh jackman is the sean connery of wolverine you know he he will be the definitive wolverine forever really for many people so it's great that they're really doing a a real concluding arc for him and and it it just looks great, you know, putting Johnny Cash on the trailer, having it be very, you know, um, mm, mm. Um, cool and and gr- a bit gritty and a d- very different tone and style. I, I'm I'm all for it. I think it'll be great. I really do. I I did actually say when me and um, my wife Elisa when we watched the trailer, I was like, oh, Johnny fucking Cash, really? <laughs> Are we not past putting hurt over everything these days? <laughs> 
But I know it's a bit overdone. But if you can get Johnny Cash, get Johnny Cash. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, there was also Guardians of the Galaxy two first trailer, hmm. which um, didn't give a huge amount away. No, which is good, because um, and it, you know I, I was going to see this film regardless anyway because the first was just so much fun. I think I think the trailer though has it, the thing is the trailer knows that the trailer knows yeah. that everybody's going to go and see this film anyway. It doesn't really have to try. I mean, mm-hmm. and so I th- and I think it will. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I think. I, they haven't put a foot wrong with how to market or present Guardians yet, and and I don't see that changing. But they are very they are very confident now, and they can, they can do a trailer where you spend thirty seconds listening to, you know, um, Drax and what's his name, Star Lord, have a bit of a, a bromance moment. They can they can get away with it because people are just excited that they're coming back. So yeah, yeah. they can do what they want. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird. It's a weird situation, isn't it? Now with a lot of uh, big budget movies where. A sequel is is sort of turned out every two to three years, and you know, in in times gone by, if you had had a sequel, there would have been a longer distance between it, and you would either a have expected the first film to have been a moderate success, and for the sequel to be a massive success because it would then generate a fan base through um, video sales and things like that, and people through word of mouth after it has already been out in the cinemas, or you'd have a massive film that everyone would have seen and would have diminishing returns for the sequels because, you know, you would have everyone piling in to see it in the cinema and not everyone would like it, so not all of those would come back for the sequels. Mm. Marvel has kind of broken that formula where they didn't seem to have a huge um, fan base based on word of mouth. It's it's just everyone goes to see their films Mm. and everyone goes to see the sequels and it's not really a case of diminishing returns because then you get things like Iron Man 3 which would just blow the, the previous films out of the water. And the only one that's that's different to that is obviously Avengers, but then that's a slightly different concept anyway. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's just a weird... I just find it a, a fascinating and kind of bizarre situation. Mm, yeah, and I, and I think it's it's the consequence of, of the, the, the powerhouse of the superhero movie. You know, that Marvel... Mm-hmm. They're just in that position now. Marvel, Star Wars, all these kind of films are in that position that they they don't have to make good films. They do, which also yep. does help because I think the moment they stopped making good films, they're not they're not necessarily too complacent. I know Marvel get you know lots of criticism aimed at them. They are complacent, and yeah, there are complacent elements. But on the whole, they do they do try. They still do push things mm-hmm. hard, as does you know Star Wars and all these other big franchises. And that's why it's just a machine now. It's a machine, and you know people have been predicting for years that this superhero bubble would burst, but it's nowhere close to that yet. And I don't think it's going to be for a very long time, if it ever is, mm-hmm. because this it's such a big concept that you're dealing with, with things like Guardians, that wouldn't have existed 10 years ago. No one would have made a Guardians film 10 years ago. And it's it, it, I don't see where it ends, really. I really don't. Mm-hmm. Well, they'll just, they'll just keep planning and making and planning and making until people will actually stop, and it's possibly going to be through fatigue um i can't remember which episode it was but i compared them to westerns from you know decades gone by because westerns got to saturation point to the point that you could no longer make an original western that wasn't either trying to subvert the genre or was just a complete uh, utter piece of 
tripe that had been done a million times before. But what the, the, the different, the only difference I can see is that with westerns they weren't a, a shared continued universe. You know, people people like long form storytelling. You know, they like mm. they like the idea of a TV show feeling like a novel, like Game of Thrones. You know, or like Westworld has just started. They like the idea that movies can now not just be a contained cinematic yeah let's go and see a a tom cruise movie or an arnie movie now they want to go and see a movie that has two end credit sequences that tee up the next three films so i don't know i I see what you mean and i think the fatigue is a danger but i think as long as they keep telling a continued weaved shared universe i don't know if this appetite is gonna is gonna die off the only the only point it would die off is if it gets to a point that people aren't interested in the stories and the characters and the actors anymore, and that's where it could that's where it could fade away. I think well, yeah, possibly. I think it's it's also going to be if they rely too heavily on that. If they keep yeah. making films with the, but you have to see the next one to see the fallout. We're not going to tell you the whole story this time. Mm. Then I think people will eventually get sick of it. I mean, I am getting kind of sick of it. I'll be honest. I don't stick around for the stingers. I don't don't really care about them. Um, because I shouldn't have to. Well, you, know, you should give me a film in the 120 minutes or more, as they often are, and just that, that'll that do me. I will come back and watch the next one if I like this one. Um, but, you know, and I, I, I totally get your point about the mm, continuity of it. But. It's a double-edged sword, and, and they, have, they have got to be careful quite how they do it and for how long they do it and what films and actors and, and storylines they use because that's the key I think really. But yeah. Guardians is gonna be really good, I think. I don't think it, I don't think it'll be quite as good as the first one or quite the hit of the as the first one. I don't think they're gonna quite mm-hmm. be able to replicate that. But I I think it'll be good. Time now to review a couple of new releases. First up, Owen um, and Tony are going to take a look at The Comedian's Guide to Survival, which is a film made by Failed Critic Network's very own proper comedian professional funny man, James Mullinger. <laughs> yeah, it's Didn't a... invite me out for a drink in May for that. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's invited. If you listen to the latest Underground Nights, he tells you the exact location and basically to come along for a pint. But um, if he's paying Mayfair prices, I'll be there. Exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think actually the, he's chosen this place in Mayfair because it's where he set up his first comedy club, where we used to get people like Greg Davis and uh, Stuart Lee, and I think Ian Morris came along to something in one of his anecdotes. It's it's set. He's, I won't I won't tell the whole story. You should listen to the latest episodes of Underground Nights to hear it because it's fascinating. Um, But he talks about how essentially Ian Morris discovered Greg Davis for the TV show The Inbetweeners at Mullinger's club after Mullinger invited Ian Morris along. That's cool. Yeah, so there's there's quite a... It's quite a strange sort of link there, but it's it's really worth hearing the full um, podcast of that because, of course, yeah, the film is semi-biographical about James Mullinger's life. He co-wrote it it co-wrote it with the film's director Mark Murphy. Um, well, I say co-wrote. He it, it came up with the story with Mark, and then Mark wrote the screenplay. So, but semi-biographical. It's about Mullinger's early life, trying to make it as a stand-up comedian whilst working for a magazine. I can't remember. Is it GOQ or something like that in the film? But he actually worked for GQ magazine in real life. 
And there's lots of twists on it. It says all the embarrassing moments kind of were real um, or based on real things. And so uh, it's just, a, I, I found it to be a very funny film. And I realised that maybe I'm slightly biased uh, and I feel weird in thinking I, I can't actually review this film objectively because I know the guy who's in it. I, I edit and produce the podcast for the guy who this is based <laughs> on. Um, and we, me, Paul and Carol saw the test screening for this in London uh, in October last year. And we fell about laughing whilst watching it. Well, I mean, it might have been because we were, um, you know, well pissed from the £20 G&Ts. But it was, it was also, it was, a, it was a very funny film. And I watched this, the online screener again ahead of its release. It comes out on Friday this week. Um, watched it again. I mean, I didn't fall about laughing as much, but I don't know whether that's simply because it's the second time watching it. And you know, sometimes comedies, um, they have that effect, don't they? I mean, there's still lots of laughs in it. I still laughed through it. But, uh, but Tony, this was your first viewing of The Comedian's Guide to Survival, wasn't it? Yeah. And you can be objective on this because, <laughs> well, because you're, you're a better critic than me, but you can also, no. you know, you haven't got that sort of um, bias, I guess. So, honestly, be as blunt as you like. I'm sure Mullinger's a big man. He can take it if he listens <laughs> to this. What is your, what is your opinion of uh, Comedian's Guide to Survival? Genuinely, I did enjoy it. I did enjoy it. I think mm-hmm. it's a very interesting film because it's... It's not a straight-up traditional comedy in the sense that you might think it is. It's a comedy about comedy. Yes. And it's a comedy about the being a comedian and not just being a comedian. You know, I mean, they could have written a, co- a comedy about a stand-up comedian who gets into all sorts of scrapes and lots sorts of, ooh, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. But it's not about that. It's, it's, it breaks the fourth wall for a start. All the, a lot of the characters talk to camera. I love that bit. It's so when he, he's breaking the fourth wall and everyone's like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. The characters in the film know that he's breaking the fourth wall at times as well. So it, it's operating on different levels of meta. It has at one point a really almost bizarre mo- out-of-body moment when James Mullinger is playing a fictionalised successful comedian in LA mm-hmm. having an interview by James Buckley playing James Mullinger. Yep. And you think, wow, this is <laughs> this is a really sort of this is a really complicated comedy in the sense that it's it's talking about the, what it means to actually be funny, and it, and I think the reason the reason I did enjoy it is because I used to live with two stand up comedians, and there's a there's a, one of the stand up comedi- comedians in this when Mullinger goes and interviews people, famous comics. Mm-hmm. One of the comics, um, Brendan Burns, mm-hmm. um, he's done a gig in my house. No, you did not used to live with Brendan Burns. No, no, but I, I used to live with two stand-up comics who are friends with Brendan Burns, and Brendan wow. Burns did a house gig in my kitchen with about 30 people. It was quite an exclusive That's gig. That's amazing. Yeah, they recorded a podcast at the same time. Um, and if you want to f- uh, find the comedian who knows him, his name's Paul Savage, and you can find him at Comedy I, Savage on Twitter. I know of Paul Savage, yeah. Paul Savage, yeah, he's an old mate of mine. I used to live with him for a year, um, and he's a really funny guy. Um, mm-hmm. So... Yeah, look up Savage, he's great. But yeah, he knows Brendan. He got Brendan in to do this gig. It was an electric night. It was brilliant. Um, and they recorded a podcast alongside it, one of Brendan's podcasts, because he was doing a tour. But so, so the reason I like this is because I, I lived with comedians and a lot of the things that Mullinger does in this or talks about 
are things I've heard about and I've seen, you know, the where they go in cars together and <laughs> comedians <laughs> are nicking each other's jokes and they're traveling shitty distances and coming in at th- three in the morning after doing a gig in, you know, the middle of, end of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, Swindon, you know, it's like, <laughs> um, and you, and savages that would be the first to tell you that he had, he's had plenty of dark nights of the soul where he goes, why the fuck am I doing this? I'm not getting any money for it. Why am I there? Um, so I can see a lot in it that I've experienced through friends. Um, my only thing was it was funny, and because when he was, but I, I I found it less funny when he was trying to be funny. Almost, I think when it was actively seeking out a gag or a pratfall, mm-hmm. I didn't laugh like I was laughing at the moment. I mean, my, the, the bits I loved the most were like when the famous comics are basically roasting Mullinger and saying, yes. <laughs> You're, I just think you should die. You know, you should put, get, get, a, get a rope and hang yourself. <laughs> and doesn't, doesn't James Buckley, who's playing Mullinger in the <laughs> film, do, just play that off really well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Buckley's really good because he really underplays it. And yeah. the, 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 the big thing that I found living with comedians, and I mean this with the greatest of respect to Savage, <laughs> they, they, they are often very, very, very anxious and unfunny about being funny. Mm. And they are constantly worried about the fact that they're they're being funny, and right. it means that they they analyze and they self reflect all the time, and then they go on stage and they often become another person. But so the whole process of Mullinger trying to figure out if he's funny mm-hmm. is very true, and I think com- a lot of comedians go through that. And Buckley was really good at that, and I like the message. The ultimate message of it is chill out. You know, you <laughs> if you believe that you're good. And, you know, you believe you're funny, you will be funny. And, and I, I thought that was a nice message by the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's, it's, a, it's a film that isn't conventional. And I think comedians will get more out of it than the majority of the public. But I think if you look beyond it, there's a really interesting film there. And I did like it. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I mean, I think it's not like a hard-hitting comedy. I mean, it's not going to make you change your mind on the world or the way you see things but it's just it isn't kind of a weirdly uplifting story um mm. and it's it's funny how one of the things that i picked up on and paul did as well i actually pointed the finger at mullinger was like so you basically your your character in this is sick of his life but actually you see it and he lives in a massive house in london with a beautiful wife and he's got you know a really like enviable job mm. as a journalist and he's just sick of it all, and you you can't really feel sorry for him in the same way. Um, yeah, and it, I think that's true. But the the weird thing is, you do feel sorry for him because he's he's got all this stuff, but it's not fulfilling, and he's not fulfilled because he's not happy with himself, and he's not happy mm. with himself because of this. I think it's quite a nice um, way of playing that because you could look at it and go, "Hey, why the fuck should I feel anything for a guy like this?" But it, it, we, it, I think it works. There's something in the, the writing that's quite good. And I, I, also, I think that in terms of the actual laughs, it helps that they're so funny and that they've got great character actors in there. Mm. Kevin Eldon yeah. is great yeah. as the taxi driver, the American taxi driver who doesn't get sarcasm. Yeah, Mark Heap is the creepy American trucker. I mean, he's <laughs> yeah. Mark Heap is the, one of the greatest actors in the world. So it's great when he crops <laughs> up. Um, yeah. No, it's true. And it's got lots of little fake people popping up and lots of it's 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 very it's very cartoonish weirdly enough at times. It's hyper real. You know, Paul K, yes. for instance, oh, who's just fantastic. brilliant. Yeah, he's yeah. great. A very Paul K kind of role. Mm-hmm. But that kind that kind of person is turned up to 11. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But at the same mm-hmm. time, it's still it's very it's operating on different levels and I think it's I do think it's clever. Um 
but it's not something I think people are going to be able to fully... I think it deserves a watch or two, actually. I think it's yeah. going to take more than one watch. And I think if people are going in that looking for a straight-up comedy, they, they're going to be a bit thrown. But that's not a bad thing. No, no. I mean, it is, it's not a typical... I mean, there isn't really a, such a thing as a typical British comedy these days in terms of films, at least. Um, because, you know, in the same year that you've had Brent Life on the Road come out, you've got Comedian's Guide to Survival. Um, which are two very different ways of telling a story of like a biographical mm. story of somebody in comedy. But I think that it, I, I do think it's a funny film and I know people are going to think, well, you, you would say that, but I do, I genuinely do. I don't know how to describe it. Me, Paul and Carol were sat around in the pub before we went to the test screening and we were talking and we just sort of quietly looked at each other and said, what do we do if it's shit? <laughs> what do we do if it's an awful film yeah and we were like i said we were we were really pleased that it turned out to be so so much mm. fun that all three of us had very different senses of humor as well i might add i think me carol and paul uh all each of us found it funny so yeah i hope that's not a hard sell to people but i do <laughs> i do think people should should see it it's 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 worth at least one watch mm, definitely yeah, yeah i agree Okay, next up is the new Jack Reacher film, which Tony's going to take on for us. Yes, Tom Cruise. Love him or hate him. Most people hate him. <laughs> I, 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 re- I like Tom Cruise. I like you know. him as an actor, but as as a religious nut job, no. Oh, oh yeah, he's he's a loon. He's a loon. But like, it, it, have on... you seen the thing that he did this week with James Corden? Oh no, Scott... tonight. You know, he did that. James Corden did that thing with Tom Hanks, where they went through every film of his in. Like six minutes or something like that. Yeah, oh, I, I I avoid everything James Corden. So okay, I think I, I think I think James Corden gets a bad rap. I, I think th- he's alright. I think he plays up to it a lot on stuff like A League of Their Own, and people don't like him because of that. He's actually a very good good writer. He is, and he as, he, ev- I think as he evidenced has a... by like Gavin and Stacey, and what was that other show that he the did? The Wrong Man's. Yeah, me and you both liked The Wrong. I'm not seen yeah. season two of it, but I thought it was that was really good. Yeah. I think he's also got the the reputation of being a lad because of like Gavin and Stacey. But actually, he's quite far from a lad. Actually, the and comic he, the comic relief sketches he does as Smithy they were brilliant. Yeah, and I, have you seen? I mean, he's great in the History Boys, yeah. which is him being a proper actor, you know. And I also and, think because I have the same problem, people are just jealous because he's fat and successful. They can't <laughs> handle it. They're jealous of your success. Yeah. Mm. No, but I, 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 I can tolerate him. I think he's actually quite good. Yeah, but he did one of these these things anyway. That was my point with Tom Cruise in it, and I think Tom Cruise has a side of him that I, I can't quite read because it, it seems on the face of it like a genuinely nice guy, and everyone always says, "Oh, he's so nice," but are they saying it because it's Tom Cruise and his star power, or I don't know. Mm. I so I find him a very difficult man to read. He's 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 very divisive, but I think as a as a leading man, Tom Cruise, I I like the majority of things he does. You know, I I, I suppose I just like the projects. You know, and and I like I like Jack Reacher as a character. You know, I've read some of the Lee Child books, not all of them, um, and I really enjoyed the first one, the Christopher McQuar- McQuarrie film. I thought that was great. Um, oh yeah, I watched a clip from it again this week, trying to work out whether I should waste some time on the new one because I thought the good one, the first one, was quite good. I loved the sniper uh, opening shot. That yeah. gave me sort of, like, my heart was beating faster and I was sweating watching that. I thought that was shot fantastically well. 
And the Werner Herzog stuff. Yeah. I rewatched the scene where he's talking about chewing his own fingers off <laughs> and tries to get the guy to chew his own fingers yeah. off. And it's just a brilliant scene. <laughs> there's there's nothing like that in this. I mean, you, you're gonna you're gonna. It, it, there's no work Werner Herzog. It isn't directed by Macquarie, which means it isn't as good. You know, it's Ed, mm. Edward Zwick this time. Um, so in terms of actual production, it's not as good a film. But I really enjoyed it. Not just because of Tom Cruise, who I think he's a good Reacher. You know, a lot of people have complained that he's he's you know oh he's not Reacher, but it's probably because it's Tom Cruise, and most people hate mm. Tom Cruise. He's very good. He's very good at being that recalcitrant, you know, bulldozer of a man, a bit like a kind of Jack Bauer figure, you know. He's really good at that. And he and, he, and the older he gets, and he, for the first time, Tom Cruise is starting to look his age a little bit now. Um, but and, I bet his girlfriends aren't in it, right? <laughs> he's, he might be over 50, but I bet he's still pulling 20 seconds. Oh, more than like, well, considering he's over 50, I mean, he looks ridiculously good still. I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. Um, but at the same time, there is a little bit of, but when he takes his top off, he doesn't quite have the buff chiseled chest that he did, you know, and you, you understand that really. But I think it, it plays into the fact that Reacher is supposed to be a bit worn and a bit weathered and a bit leathered and older. So I think he's good. You know, I, I really do buy him as a, as a proper hard nosed ex-military action man. And I like this story, you know, it, it just goes for it. It's the whole idea is that he's got to go back to the military because um, he, as I said in my review, he's basically after a shag. <laughs> right, he, he's 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 corresponding with Kobe Smulders, who's this you know army major, and he's basically after a shag. And in the end, she gets in trouble, and he ends up having to help her. Gets involved in this big military conspiracy, but it's and it's very predictable. You know, you won't you won't be remotely surprised by it. But the whole idea is that he's having to go back to the the military he's given up. You know, and and everyone they make a point. Everyone in the military keeps making a point of going major, and he goes ex major. He doesn't want to be a military guy anymore. He's left that behind. But in order to help Kobe Smolders, he has to he has to get back into it. Um, but it's you know it, the, the plot is, is very predictable. The villains are very cartoonish. The the, the bad guy in it might as well have a mustache. He, he's, he's this assassin, this ruthless assassin, wears black gloves, dresses completely in black. Right? <laughs> he, right. He's he's ridiculous. But he but he's effective. You know, he does the job. Cruz and Smolders are really good together. She's great. Mm-hmm. She she plays a, a hard woman really well. There's a subplot as well about the fact that um, Jack Reacher might have a daughter, an Ill- illegitimate daughter who is a tear away and ends up getting involved. You, you can imagine where that goes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it's nice and it works and it's got good action sequences. It, wor- it, it moves along pretty fast. I, was, I wasn't bored remotely all the way through. And by the time I got to a r- predictable ending, you know, I was, I was happy. It, 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 solid, does what it says in the tin. Not as good as the first one because the first one was had a little touch of extra, but mm-hmm. I, I think if you're looking for a bit a bit of pulpy, hard nosed, bit cheesy at times action, I think you could do a lot worse. A couple of the things I didn't like about the first one, um, one was Rosamund Pike, so I'm glad she's gone. Yeah, she's gone. Yep, good. And the second one was um, kind of weird slapstick elements, like occasionally, like the fight that was in the house. In the first one, yeah, yeah, it was all a bit weird and like out of tone with the rest of it. I mean, how is it in this one? Have they changed any of that, or is it? Are they tried to keep it so it's very similar feel? No, no, it's it's very it's very uniform. You know, this one is mm. it, it's there's no oddness. There's no Werner Herzog coming in, philosoph, you know, philosophizing or whatever. Yeah. It's it's much more down the line. You know, these guys are bad. You're a good guy. She's in trouble. 
you know, this is this is the, this is the emotional moment. This is when you're supposed to be a bit ah. This is when the villains oh his boo hiss. It's just that really, and it, it you know it's like watching a two hour episode of Twenty Four, basically. Yeah. And it's and I and I and I love Twenty Four, so I'm happy with that. <laughs> I kind of feel John Wick has nailed this now, and maybe that puts like the final nail in the coffin of these sort yeah. of movies. But I don't think it's actually going to do that. I think I think Reacher has has the benefit of being based on on a book as well. Mm. So the story, as cheesy at times as it is, it is at least based on a book, you know. And and I think. You know, it's not got the style of a John Wick or the, you know, the, the glint in the eye of a John Wick. But, you know, there are some, compared to some of the action shite we've had this year, this is this is pretty good, actually. Yeah. You know, and it's it, for, considering we've had a terrible year of cinema, this is all right. This, is, this isn't bad. So it's worth a watch. I will take all right yeah. at the moment. <laughs> yeah. Over some of the stuff that we've had. I think if you like, if you can stomach Tom Cruise, you'll have a good time. High praise indeed. <laughs> <laughs> Time now for Triple Bill, um, the feature that we bring back occasionally, where we all take three of a certain thing film-related. Owen has come up with this week's spooky Halloween theme. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, so, do you, do you remember when Leonard Nimoy died, we did a resurrection Triple Bill on film characters who died and then came back to life in honour of Spock? Because... As we all know, he sacrificed himself in Wrath of Khan only to be resurrected in Search for Spock. This time, for Halloween, we're doing it a little bit differently. So instead of finding fictional characters who died uh, within a narrative, we're going all uh, necromancer, as I said at the start of the podcast, and we're resurrecting dead actors. That's real-life people who have actually died. It's a bit macabre, but, you know, it's Halloween, so what the fuck? Um, rather than like allowing them a second chance at life, you know, getting them to see loved ones and live in peace, we're putting them straight back onto the Hollywood <laughs> treadmill and sticking them in films that we've come up with uh, ideas for. So, Steve, would you like to kick us off with this, with what your first choice was? Yeah, okay. Um, what I did with this was all the actors that I'm resurrecting playing characters they have played previously. Oh, okay. So I'm not going for for new characters, mm-hmm. uh, new films. I, well, new films I am. I'm, I'm extending franchises. And the first one, I'm going to be a bit tenuous and I'm going to have to kill off a couple of other people as well <laughs> to bring them back to life. Okay. So what I'm going with is John Candy. Mm-hmm. I've also got to kill off Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern and bring them back to life because what we're having is a new home alone for a grown-up generation. So Macaulay Culkin is the is the main protagonist, mm-hmm. I suppose, and it's going to be zombies trying to get into his house nice. and he has to, has to fend them off. So John Candy will be a zombie along with Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern and he has to fend them off to keep himself safe while his family have... Left him. He's a grown adult. I don't know why that's an mm-hmm. issue, but I'll find a reason. <laughs> Something to do with him being mentally unstable due to being <laughs> left by his family all the time. Yeah, laugh um, a minute. <laughs> I, I will be honest, the first thing that popped into my head when you were talking about John Candy in a Home Alone film is you could probably make a Home Alone film without John Candy. 
He's only a very minor character. Yeah, but none of, but none of them are dead. <laughs> so that's that's why I needed him. I'd forgotten he was that's... even in Home Alone. He's in it for like five minutes in the airport, isn't he? But but that's why I needed him because he's he's dead and the rest aren't. Yep. Fair St- enough. Steve wins. Steve wins the most tenuous connection award <laughs> episode. But you'd all see it, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah. We would. And that's the um, that's the most important thing. Um, Owen, what's your first one? Um, okay, so just because it's Halloween, I'm going for a tight 90-minute anthology horror film based on stories from Aaron Mankey's Law Podcast. Ooh. And I'm going to resurrect Vincent Price. I knew that was going to be your first one. It had to be. It's yeah, Halloween. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, he was uh, 82, I think, when he died. I think one of the last films he was in was uh, Edward Scissorhands. Uh, I think he died in 93. Um, so I'm bringing back prime 1960s Roger Corman, Edgar Allan Poe, Vincent Price, and I'm putting him in this anthology horror film. Uh, no need to get, like, huge Hollywood-level filmmakers involved. I'm thinking Ben Wheatley. Fede Alvarez, who um, did Evil Dead and Don't Breathe. Uh, and I think that kind of camp Sam Raimi horror might lend itself quite well to to Mr. Price. Um, maybe Jennifer Kent, who did The Babadook. Get Elliot, Go- Elliot Goldner, who was from The Borderlands. So you can get your mix of like quite well-known to not so well-known, but should be given bigger opportunities, uh, horror film directors. Just adapting stories, you know, and each one has Vincent Price as the main character in it. So uh, if I know if I said to you, Tony, who put Bella in the Witch Elm? Yeah, you know what I'm referring to. I do, right? I do. A local Midlands legend. Yeah, exactly. Stourbridge yeah. in 1941. Yeah, yeah. It was a, a hollow witch elm tree with a human skull in it that became sort of a murder mystery type affair. Mm. And obviously, you you know twist it to make it a bit supernatural. You could have Price as the weird kind of stranger who moves to the area. Uh, because let's face it, I guess nobody wants to hear Vincent Price's iconic voice twisted out of all proportion as it's mangled by a black country dialect. <laughs> but <laughs> I kind of do now you've said that. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, <laughs> but you know, he, you know, he'd be the weird stranger. Uh, I think episode six, when I was researching these and I was flicking back through the episodes of Law, is one of the best episodes where you could have Price playing Dr. Freeman, who was the inventor of the ice pick lobotomy. Oh, mm, which was one of the most horrible stories to listen to, but Grim. compelling. You know, I couldn't stop listening to it. So, uh, you know, maybe have a segment where Price is uh, sick of paying for stamps because it's such a hassle standing in post office queues <laughs> waiting for stamps. So he orders stamps from stamps dot fucking com. Um, <laughs> is there such a thing as stamps dot com? I <laughs> there's gotta be. <laughs> I lo- I like law. I. I I haven't listened to so many of the latest ones, but I got so sick of it because it was fifty percent adverts. And yeah, stamp stop fucking car. I know. I've stopped. I've stopped now. I've stopped listening yeah. to it now for that reason. But that, I, there were so many good stories mm. from the early episodes that I think are ripe. For, in fact, they weren't. They were going to make a TV show at one point. I think. I don't know if that's still going. Yeah, out. yeah, it's still happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there you go. Anthology horror with Vincent Price in it. Mm. I like that. Okay, and Tony, yours. I've kind of taken a leaf out of Steve's book. Um, I'm not doing I'm alone, but, <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm going to kill off Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> <back as> a... <laughs> I'm going to, yeah, we're going to do a Richie Rich sequel. No, um, <laughs> I, I, uh, I've got two, two actors who are going to resurrect 
parts they've played before and I've got one um, solo one that's new. So I'm going to start with one of my resurrected actors and I'm going to go with Heath Ledger, um, the dear departed Heath Ledger. And uh, he's going to come back and obviously he's going to play the Joker again in uh, The Dark Knight Returns, which will be uh, not quite the sequel based on the Frank Miller. It's not exactly going to be the Frank Miller story. But it's going to be called The Dark Knight Returns. It's going to be a post-Nolan trilogy sequel. Um, so you've got Joseph Gordon-Levitt as uh, John Blake. And uh, he hasn't assumed the Batmantle yet. He's He's got the cave. He's got all the tech. Wayne Manor's now become like, a, you know, a home for orphans or whatever. But underneath, it's all still there. He's trying to just be a cop or whatever. But then when the Joker, played, of course, by Heath Ledger, breaks out, he, he seizes control of Arkham Asylum. He takes control and he uh, he's basically got all the villains at his disposal and his plan is to sort of just engineer his own like army of villains to go and like destroy Gotham. And at that point, Blake, with the help of Vicky Vale, because you'd have to bring Vicky Vale in because mm-hmm. she's one of the only women left who we haven't seen <laughs> in the yeah. Nolanverse. Um, I'm not sure who she'd be played by. Some some st- Jennifer Lawrence. Let's have Jennifer Lawrence. Let's just throw her in there. <laughs> yep, cool. Um and uh, he then he then has to he realizes that the Dark Knight must return to save Gotham. So he uh, he dons the cape and Batman returns from the dead for a uh, Nolan style um, Nolan style film. And I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna take a risk. I'm gonna let Wally Fister direct it. Um, okay. He's uh, he's director of photography who did the awful Transcendence. Yeah, um, but he's he's a, he's a very famous cinematographer. He right? is. I mean, he is, and he's Nolan's mate. So Nolan's off doing Dunkirk or whatever war he's going to fight next. So he can't do it, and he's like, "No, I'm done with Batman. I'm done." Um, but then Ledger's just going to be the Joker, and he's going to be all, you know, want to see the scars and all that stuff again. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, 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 this might be in bad taste, given the Joker was possibly the part role that helped kill him in the first place I don't know but um, but yeah I just think it's just tragic we never got to see him play that part again so you know there we go well, originally wasn't he going to be the judge in Dark Knight Rises yeah I think you so know? and yeah. then they ended up saying oh we'll give it back to Scarecrow and stuff. yeah yeah I think I think that was what Nolan might have thought to do before he died yeah but mm-hmm. yeah there we go that's well, mine Nolan's not dead no, 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 not that we know of, yeah. Yeah, so my second one is the late, great English actor Christopher Lee. Mm-hmm. And I had a couple of ideas. One was um, to go back into the Lord of the Rings universe and look at his character of Saruman and, and kind of just a, a standalone Saruman film of how he turned from being the White Wizard to being the complete, you know, bad guy that he was mm-hmm. by the end of the Lord of the Rings, um, and kind of what made him change, how he changed, how he interacted, if he did at all with Sauron. And I also thought that his character of Count Dooku in the Star Wars universe was an interesting one because he was a a Jedi who who turned to the dark side. But perhaps because he could see what was wrong with the Jedi beforehand. So again, a standalone Count Dooku film um, or uh, would would have worked quite well now that people in charge of Star Wars know what they're doing. Mm. Um, so that was my that was two for the price of one. There, mm-hmm. ideas for Christopher Lee. Pick up where he left off. 
I mean, I don't think he'd want to go back and do Star Wars. He'd probably be up for doing Lord of the Rings. Well, he was still doing it when he was like ninety, wasn't he? Yeah. I don't know. They and they cut him. They they cut him out, didn't they? They cut a lot of ceremonies. So maybe he'd be pissed off. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. I still like the anecdote of him telling Peter Jackson of what a man sounds like when he's been stabbed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Owen, what's your second pick? Uh, my second pick is um, a silent film actress, actually, Lillian Gish. Ooh. She died in 1993, aged 99. Uh, but I'd be bringing her back in her pomp when she was about sort of 20. And she was starring in all these fantastic silent movies. Um, just to see what she'd be like in a, a modern romantic drama, really. Because she never really got the tran- the, the chance to do talkies. I think my, the only talkie that people remember her for is she was in Night of the Hunter. She was the old lady with the shotgun on the porch. Um, for anyone who's familiar with that. But she was, when she was younger, if you watch her in some of her, her previous films, she was sort of like um, an elegant... Uh, wistful, uh, incredibly emotional silent film actor. And I know that's how that seems because you kind of expect the melodrama of silent film actors to be, you know, oh, woe is me, arms flying everywhere and sort of sweeping across the screen. But she, she, there was a bit more nuance to, to what she was doing there. She's probably the best silent film actor um, that I've seen, along with maybe sort of Janet Gaynor. But if you've seen her in anything like Way Down East or Orphans of the Storm, Oh, you know, the big film that I think a lot of people are associated with is Birth of a Nation. As reprehensible as D.W. Griffith's politics were in that movie, um, she was fantastic in it. And I'd put her in a romantic drama again, maybe get a director like uh, Michelle Hazard and the guy from The Artist. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Michael Haneke, maybe, if you want to go a bit more serious with your drama. Uh, or Todd Haynes. If you're gonna keep it a bit more accessible, <laughs> um, so basically anyone other than Terence fucking Malick who would make a boring snooze yeah. and waste her potential by making her stare into middle distance for three hours while some cunt narrates over the top of it. <laughs> um, give it to someone. Give it to someone who could do her justice. Is what I mean. You know, like a Derek Cian France maybe, or Mark Webb. Even if we're gonna be a bit more playful, I'd quite like to see her in a a new version of Mark Webb's 500 Days of Summer. Um, so yeah, Lillian Gish is my second choice. Mm. I like that. We were talking about this before. I could have so easily got... The first sort of names that came into my mind when I was thinking of this, uh, you know, I thought about Bruce Lee, John Wayne, too easy, too iconic. You know, they'd never better what they did pre- previously. And then I was thinking, well, Philip Seymour Hoffman, but, you know... What would he do that he hasn't done that that I could pitch to him um, that will get people excited? I I, oh, I have got a, a slightly amusing anecdote about this. Again, as I always do with these things, I ask my wife for any suggestions. Um, and she said, oh, um, wasn't an actor, but what about Harry Ramsden? I said, what, the fish and chip shop? <laughs> she said, no, uh, Harry Hosen. Like, Ray Harry Hosen. <laughs> Yes. Brilliant! So it was a great suggestion, just the wrong name. <laughs> that's a, that's amazing. I know what Harry yeah. Hosen chips, <laughs> <laughs> which is fun. Yeah, so um, I would, but of course he's also not an actor. But 
Anyway, yeah, sorry, I'm waffling. Move on, move on, Steve. Stick on, yes, stick on move me. on, Steve, to Tony and your uh, second choice. <laughs> well, Steve, you nicked mine because um, I was going to have Christopher Lee. So I might as well just do just say my Christopher Lee one as well. Um, I thought I'd do an original Christopher Lee story and a little bit one that was sort of based on him in a way. Um, so this would be called Metal Man. And uh, the story is basically, I suppose it's a, it's a little bit Ghost Rider in the sense that it's about a, um, Christopher Lee plays a an ancient metal rocker um, who uh, has just done lots of, you know, like like he did, lots of prog albums and he's just at the end of his life and he's still going, Whoa, you know, all this kind of stuff. <laughs> um but then he's 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 on his he's on his deathbed and and he gets it's a classic story he gets he gets Lucifer turns up, um and says to him um I will let you live, um but you need to uh basically go and kill lots of people who are good, um and he gives him magical powers to do that so Christopher Lee in the real world as a rocker, <coughs> um like imagine Ozzy Osbourne but just like more metal and you know Christopher Lee, and then he uh. He goes out and at first he's, you know, he, he's doing it because he's, he's reborn with magical powers. But then he decides to turn the tables and he starts going after the devil's minions. So it's Christopher Lee just going, I will exact vengeance and all that stuff. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and he's just got Christopher Lee with magical powers in like modern day, probably, probably England, maybe, maybe America, maybe, maybe across the world. Maybe, maybe you know, maybe just because everywhere. But it would have a thumping metal soundtrack. <laughs> that kind of thing all the way through as he's just smiting people down i don't know who would direct it maybe um i don't know i have in mind the guy from green room oh yeah jeremy saulnier yeah yeah yeah, yeah. good shout i like that yeah but someone like proper young and 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 you know slippery as the devil you know as lucifer just as a contrast so i'm trying to think of a young and slippery actor um, someone like Danny Houston when he was younger, that kind of you know oily, you know mm-hmm. creep guy. Um, but I'm not quite sure. But uh. but yeah, I suppose it's it's a little bit like the comic Lucas Stand as well, which I don't know if any of you either of you have read. Um, the new comic by Kurt Sutter, which should really be made into a into a TV show eventually because it's great. It's about this um, this ex alcoholic guy who's a bit of a bastard who basically gets a, a, de- a devil or an angel it's not quite clear comes to him and says you can travel through time defeating demons and that's what he does as he's drinking hard and you know calling everyone bastards and everything so it's a bit like that you know it's a bit like edgy and that kind of stuff so yeah that that's that's mine what about um dominic cooper maybe oh yeah 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 good again good shout yeah let's have him <laughs> let's have him dominic cooper is the devil um yeah, Christopher Lee is just a hard metal guy, just smiting people nice. with magic powers. So yeah, there we go. Sorted. Mm. We've done it. Yeah. Let's pitch it. Well, we can't. <laughs> let's resurrect him and do it. Yeah. It's the it's the fault with this plan, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's, it's a pretty it's a pretty big fault, really. <laughs> it's foolproof, except for our main star is dead. <laughs> if you can resurrect the ancient art of necromancy, yeah, we will. Yeah, it's so, a goer, it, Ho- Hollywood can do a lot. You know, exactly. Why not? Not just CGI him like that advert with what's the name Audrey Hepburn. <laughs> yeah. Just do that. Yeah. I was um, for my th- final choice. I was I was trying to think of a way of doing a a kind of weekend at Bernie style thing with a dead actor, <laughs> but of course that defeat the object of the whole thing because I wouldn't be resurrecting anyone. Yeah. Um, so doing weekend at Bernie's with Bob Hoskins. 
would just be completely pointless because he wouldn't be resurrected. Just dug up. Yeah, that's not what I, that's not what I was asked for. So yeah, then I had so I had to do some more thinking um, while drugged up on Lemsip, and I took a bit of a cop out. I'm bringing back Robin Williams. Um, but we've probably all seen that trailer on YouTube as, of Mrs. Doubtfire recut as a horror film. So honestly, <laughs> as it's Halloween, Mrs. Doubtfire redone as a horror where she's just some kind of weird, he's like some weird cross-dressing home invader who's trying to abduct, trying to abduct some kids. But I like The Weekend at Bernie's idea better. Yeah, I love I the idea of resurrecting that. him to just make him play a dead man. <laughs> <laughs> it just seems cruel. <laughs> well... You know. Steve's a sadistic man. <laughs> I mean, these people, are we killing them off again as soon as they've made the film, or are they going to live on for a bit? Ooh, I'm thinking just the duration of filming. Yeah. And then back in the grave with you. Yeah, it would be a bit out of order to just do Weekend at Bernie's with them, wouldn't it? Yeah. What's your final choice, Owen? I chose uh, Mifune Toshiro, who is a Japanese actor most known for his work with Akira Kurosawa before their spat. Uh, he was in films like Yojimbo and Sanjuro. He was in Rashomon, Throne of Blood, Red Beard. Uh, the original Star Wars, Steve, The Hidden Fortress. Yeah. Um, and he was in Seven Samurai, uh, all of which are just fantastic movies. I love all those movies. Um, partly they're fantastic movies because of the story, partly because of the atmospheric and absorbing way that Kurosawa shot his films. And partly because of the incredible, incredibly compelling screen presence of Mifune Toshiro, uh, quite often playing a samurai or shogun of some description in one of these Japanese uh, period dramas, all made throughout sort of 50s, 60s and 70s. My pitch is to bring him back, keep America out of it, and give this idea to Korea, who really know how to make fantastic dramas and thrillers. So there was a film that came out last year called Assassination in Korea, which was set during a, the Japanese occupation of Korea in the 1930s. And I think you can essentially rip off most of the themes and ideas from, from Assassination. Um, what was great about it was that, I mean, it's not a completely perfect film, but it has an otherworldly quality to it uh, where it, Looks like how you would imagine a 1930s society to look. You know, it's got men in tall suits. It's got uh, those old stylish, slick cars. Um, the clubs and the bars that you would normally associate with more predominantly America from that period. But there's something like off kilter about it because the whole vibe of that place is just so foreign to us. Um it's kind of fascinating to watch because it's it's not it just feels like it's a bit of an out of time story. But I would let a Korean film director take over as well. I'm not quite sure that um, Choi Dong Hoon, who's the guy who directed Assassination, and he directed Thieves and Wuchi, um, which are so so well. I like the Thieves a lot, but Wuchi was not so great. But you know, I don't know whether he would be the quite the right choice for this. Um, if anyone who's seen his films will know what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm not sure, like, any of the big three either would be... You know, that's Kim Ji-woon, Park Chan-wook, uh, with his weird psychosexual tendencies. Or 
Bong Joon-ho, who's of Snowpiercer, the host. Memories of Murder, Fame. Those three. They're kind of the big three Korean directors. I'm not sure any of those would quite suit it because they're usually a bit too out there for what I'm thinking. Uh, similarly, like the opposite end of the spectrum, Hong Sang-soo or Kim Ki-duk or Lee Chang-dong, I think they're all a bit too arty and cerebral for what I'm thinking about as well. I reckon maybe Na Hong-jin, who did The Yellow Sea and The Chaser, possibly, although he's slightly dark. Alternatively, you can it's like the perfect project for Yun Jong-bin, who made Kundo, The Rampant, uh, with his sort of high energy full of character, but really slick movie. Kundo is like watching um, a Korean Tarantino film, if it was shorter and more to the point. Um, so basically what I'm getting at is stick Mifune Toshiro and Takeshi Kitano in a film together as two Japanese utter, utter, complete and utter bastards. <laughs> Opposite, perhaps, the biggest Korean film stars, Park Chan-wook, of course, uh, not Park Chan-wook, Choi Min-sik, I mean, sorry, and uh, Song Kang-ho. Keep the story small. Just two Japanese immigrants, maybe, taking advantage of the occupation at the time, and two local Korean old heads who try and stick up for their little shop. I guess kind of similar. It seems kind of similar to Fist of Fury, you know what I'm saying it, but that's China. Um, but I'm not anti-Japanese either. <laughs> um, but, you know, fuck it. I think it'd just make a hell of a movie. Uh, Tony, what's your final choice? Well, I'm I'm going to bring the tone right back down, uh, inevitably, and um, I I'm going to bring back Leslie Nielsen, um, and uh, I'm going to do the Naked Gun 44 and a fourth, <laughs> um, subtitled Shock and Awe, or spelled O R E. Um, like the mineral. Um, <laughs> this is all news to Steve, by the way, that Leslie Nielsen's dead. Yeah, I know. This is Le- all brand new information. Mm. Leslie Nielsen is dead, Steve, okay? Poor bloke. Again. <laughs> again. When did that happen? Again. I know, he's died again, and now we're bringing him back. Um, so this is, this, this, is, this is the return of Frank Drebin um, from Police Squad, and uh, he's, he's in retirement, obviously, because he's about 5,000 years old, and... Uh, <laughs> His wife, um, Jane, played by Pr- Priscilla Presley, who is also 5,000 years old, but somehow is still alive and in some sort of animated corpse body, um, who <laughs> she disappears. Um, she gets kidnapped. And I think, I think I quite like the idea of Frank being around in a world, a post 9-11 world um, with ISIS and, um, <laughs> you know, fa- <laughs> facing, facing down a terrorist threat um, in, in the US. Uh, which is linked to um, a, a, a big villain, um, a big villain called Dennis Rump, um, who is a, a major, uh, you, you might see where I'm going with this in a minute, Dennis Rump, mm-hmm. okay, who is a major ore mining, hence the title, uh, magnate, billionaire, who is running for president. Um, so that's, that's Dennis, <laughs> Dennis Rump. Yeah. Okay. Um, I th- <laughs> Make a note. Hang on, let me get my pen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, Dennis Rump is the, uh, who's played by Will Ferrell um, with a horrendous wig. Uh, yeah, he's he's involved with the terrorists, as, um, Frank, as Frank might know them as, and he basically has to stop a big, you know, um, a big terrorist bombing on election day, which Dennis Rump, Dennis Rump, 
has uh, <laughs> has organised secretly. And obviously, Dennis Trump is the uber villain, and he gets blown up, and everyone's happy, and um, the Democrats, <coughs> uh, the other side, get in uh-huh. um, at the end. And then Frank goes back into retirement happily. You know. Oh, and uh, OJ Simpson is brought in to get killed off a lot, repeatedly. Um, yeah. Yeah, that sounds, there that you sounds go. great. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that sounded sarcastic. I was just, I'm just <laughs> Sarcasm. Mm. No, yeah, I think you got it right first time, Steve. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, so that's all for almost for this week's um, Failed Critics podcast. I've just got a couple of things left. One of those is recommendations. I'm going for a very silly film over Halloween weekend. I'm going on E4 at 9 o'clock on Friday night, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. I thought <laughs> it was just stupid fun, and I will stick by that, even though it was a bit shit. It's stupid fun. <laughs> One of the first three or four films I saw in 3D in the cinema. That was... Blimey. And I can remember him running across the burning trains. Oh, he's, he's on a horseback, isn't he? He's on horseback yeah. riding over the burning, flaming trains travelling at high speed. Yeah. <sighs> God, why can I remember that? I have to make a note of every film I've seen. I can remember fucking Vampire Hunter, Abraham Lincoln. Obviously not its title. But yeah. Yeah. Okay, Owen, your recommendation? The Steven Spielberg 1971 movie, Duel, is on Horror Channel on Thursday, the 27th, at 1pm in the afternoon. Um... So if you're off on half term or, you know, doing, well, if you could watch TV at work or I don't know what you do. If you record it even, you know, the wonders of modern technology. <laughs> Horror Channel, Thursday, 1pm, you can see a truck chasing a man off the road. Oh, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. It's is, it's brilliant, it's brilliant, it's, it's awesome, brilliant, it's it? brilliant. It is the best, one of the best films ever. Yeah. I watched Jewel the night before I had my driving test. Oh. <laughs> It's not the best idea. The night before. Well, I passed first time, so it can't have been too bad. Then, yeah, maybe that was it. Maybe that's what did it. My recommendation: if you've got a driving test on Friday, watch Jewel on Thursday. It'll, it'll do the trick. And Tony, uh, I'm going, and this I suppose can tie into Halloween slightly because it's terrifying. I'm going for Black Mirror, which is just returned on Netflix for six parts. Um, I've watched the first three, and I've reviewed the first three. Episode three, which is called "Shut Up and Dance." is one of the most harrowing hours of television you will ever watch, okay? It's just it's just terrifying. It, it, it's, it, it is brilliant and genius, that show. And if and it's it's not had that many episodes, but there is it doesn't put a foot wrong, you know, it's, and it's fucking hard work. It's, it's hard work, not in a bad way, but it's... That, that episode, Jesus Christ. We had, we had to immediately, me and my girlfriend had to immediately put Gilmore Girls on to feel better, <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> because it was just brilliant but grim. But yeah, it's it's so good. Watch I'm it. so, so desperate to catch up on it. I've only, we watched the first one yesterday. That was the first hour where we had spare together to watch it. Um, I was not a huge fan of the first one with Bryce Dallas Howard. Oh, really? Yeah, I thought it was good. And um, there were bits of it that were really good, and I loved the ending. I thought that was fantastic. Um, mm. Without saying, it's so hard to talk about. It. But I know. yeah, I I felt slightly let down compared to what I remember Black Mirror as, because I remember Fifteen Million Merits. I remember yeah. White Christmas. I mean, mm. just awesome, awesome TV. 
Um, but I will, I will keep going. I'm going to keep going because I am yeah. that fond of it, and I will I, look forward to episode three. Yeah, because I, I think episode two is good, but it, it and it's quite horror. It's got more horror links than the other one. But episode three for me is one of the best they've ever done. <sighs> but it's just watch it, watch Man. it when you're in a good place. Yeah. <laughs> okay, but yeah, it's great. And one last plug before we go of a recommendation, which is, of course, The Comedian's Guide to Survival, which comes out on Friday, in case you, for whatever reason, you insane person skipped uh, new release <laughs> reviews, went straight to the triple bill. Uh, Comedian's Guide to Survival, co-written by, produced by, and starring James Mullinger of Underground Nights. There we go. Um, so yes, that is all for this week's Failed Critics Podcast. And what are we doing next week? We're going to review Comedian's Guide to Survival. No, we're not really. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, Doctor Strange is out. The new Marvel movie. Which, by all accounts, seems to have gone down really well. Doctor Strange. Yes, so we'll uh, have a look at that and some other things as well. Thank you all for listening and joining us. And be back at the same time next week. At all, or sooner than that, if they listen to the Cambridge Film Festival podcast. Of course, yes, of course. The Failed Critics Podcast is presented by Steve Norman and Owen Hughes, created by James Diamond, with original music provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, remixed by James Yule of JamesYule.com. You can find us at FailedCritics.com, on Twitter at FailedCritics, and Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash FailedCritics. Thanks for listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.